My name's Jason Fleming, and this is the More Than My Past podcast from the Forward Trust. My guest on this episode isn't someone who's consigned their offending or addiction to the distant past. His name is John, and he was only released from prison in February of this year. I wanted to speak to John because he was inside both before and during the COVID-19 lockdown when prisoners were subject to unprecedented restrictions involving being locked in their cells for more than 23 hours a day. John was also released back in May of last year, but the temporary closure of many of the usual support services led him straight back to relapse and to crime. I'm pleased to say that things are looking up for John now, who has been helped by the Forward Trust to break the seven-year cycle of re-addiction and re-incarceration that he was stuck in. He's used his experience gained in HMP Brixton's Clink restaurant to start a career as a chef, a profession which has helped so many ex-offenders move forward with their lives. Now, John's experience might not be representative of every lockdown prisoner, but I think it's vital that stories like his are told so we can empathise with what prisoners have been through in recent months. Just to start us off, could you just tell us what it meant to be on the wing during COVID, what they did to you, what, what was restricted, what you could and couldn't do, etc. Well, in um, in March, I think, when all the lockdown started, I was in Brixton working in the clink. Basically, we was out from 8 o'clock in the morning to 8 o'clock some nights. Like, on, I think on a Tuesday and Thursday. In the and, restaurant? Um, yeah, we went straight from that. And I think it's on the 19th of March, or something like when the lockdown started, to 23 and a half hour bang up, yeah. which is basically... Obviously, if you know about a prison, so it's basically living in your bathroom with another person. Yeah, that's a good way and of describing yeah, it. No, no exercise, no um, access to the library. We're only getting to clean our cells like once a week. And then when uh, you got out for that hour, what would that entail? Now, basically, you'd have to clean your cell, have a shower and a bit of exercise. But I think at first we didn't even have that. We just had showers. They just, just let us out for a shower. And that was it. Like we got 20 minutes for a shower. And would the guards be all PP'd up? PPE. No, up. at first they weren't even wearing masks in there. Yeah. And that, that was a big thing. A lot of people was kicking off because we were saying the only way we're going to get COVID in prison is off the officers. Yeah. Obviously, no, no one was coming in. The wing that we was on, we was on an enhanced wing. So you'd have to be in the prison for like three months to get you enhanced. Yeah. To obviously get to C wing. Yeah. So there's no way none of us who was on that wing would have been able to transmit COVID. It was only through the Clink restaurant so obviously we was dealing with the public yeah, or through the officers. So, yeah, we was a bit perplexed by it. But obviously it was the rules all across. So, And listen, um, I was on sea, you know, while you were in during the first the first lockdown. So I know what that was like. And it was quite scary by the time COVID took control of the prisons. I mean, t- tell us about that and about when people contracted COVID because they locked you up. What was the rules about someone who had COVID sharing a cell with someone who didn't? No, basically, if someone had COVID on on Sea Wing, they 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 made um, one side of the landing for COVID. Right. So basically, if your cellmate had it, you was getting locked in the cell with him. That's right. So yeah, it, it didn't matter if you was testing positive or not. You was getting stuck in a cell with someone in case you was um, asymptomatic or whatever, and then passed yeah. on to someone else. But yeah, you was getting quarantined. You weren't getting out. People with COVID wasn't getting out for showers to use the phones. But basically, you're being locked in a cell with someone who has what is in some cases a life-threatening d- d- transmittable disease. Yeah, basically, un- yeah. Un- unbelievable. Yeah. And uh, even just being on the wings, obviously the ventilation in prison ain't great. No. 
especially in um, when they've got the grates on the window. So the air basically sucks through the window and underneath the door out onto the wing. Yeah. So in any obviously if it's in the air, if it's in particles, it's going to be getting dragged out from your cell onto the landing. So yeah, yeah, it, it was horrific, really. And what were you? I mean, what? Well, firstly, did you catch it? No, as far as I know, I did because a lot of us wasn't well when it first in December, like early January. A lot of us was ill, but we didn't know whether it was just a normal flu. Do you mean in twenty or twenty one? In no, in twenty. Yeah, in yeah. 20, yeah. So when you were all you. Were... A lot of us was ill, but no, it wasn't an illness we was um, used to. No, like none of us had felt that that bad before. No, just off of a flu or off of a cold. So I think we can safely say it was COVID, right? Brother. Yeah, I, mean, I think I mean, I'm only saying that because I had the same thing. I was like, I've got the flu, but I'm not. This is really I feel terrible. This is really, really rough. And I think anyone, especially when you're locked in a cell with someone like that and it's you're in that situation where you can't isolate yourself. You know, if you were nervous or frightened, like my mum just sat in her flat, do you know what I mean? And she's she was good as gold. I mean, the mental health issues that come with that is another matter. But for you guys, you had no chance, no chance not to... Not nah, to plus we're watching that news all the time as well. No, like anyone coughed or whatever, that's it. Straight away you thought it was COVID. We're constantly watching the news, like from first thing in the morning to last thing in the night. And I was watching the death rates and then yeah. hearing about... Um, at one stage, they said they were going to let a load of prisoners out. So that got everyone's hopes up. Yeah. It was due for parole or for early release and whatever. But yeah, it's traumatic. And then you get that massive disappointment when that doesn't happen. Yeah, well, apparently they let out four inmates from a decat who wasn't supposed to be released, and then that's it. It messed up the whole thing. So, and listen, and and during that period, like you said, the only people coming in were the guards. You know, the, the clink when it was open, and you know, white liberal do-gooders like my good self coming into you know to train the listeners. So there was little chance of it being brought in unless it was through those sources. But once it was there. It was rife, wasn't it, through through Brixton? Yeah, yeah. Brixton, on, on C-Wing, it wasn't too bad. I think there was only a few cases, but um, A-Wing a and B-Wing got completely locked down. Yeah, I remember that. I remember that. But, yeah, it was terrible. Obviously, we was isolated. We was on the other side. We was on the other side of um, where D-Wing is, so we had our yeah. own exercise yard and stuff like that. So we did our restrictions. Oh, yeah, you yeah you've got your own wing. Your own yeah, own. our restrictions lifted a bit earlier, and I, I got released in May where it was still going on and then got recalled back into, um, where did I go back to? I think I went back into um, Thameside and okay. it was the same thing. It was like a two week quarantine mm-hmm. and then moved into another two week quarantine. So yeah, it was just never ending. So for you, John, also that idea of uh, leaving basically what was hell, you know, I mean, prison at any point in anyone's life is, is, is hard, but during COVID to have left that, and, and escape that and then to relapse and have to go back in knowing full well that it was going to be you're going to have a two-week quarantine and then you know the release from the two-week quarantine was just a 23-hour bang up it was the same I mean that was yeah. really 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 depressing yeah especially in in the in the weather as well see through the summer that's it it's, it's hard enough in themselves in a normal day but in the baking hot sunshine and you're just stuck in there with a cellmate like basically living in a toilet yeah and listen, what what did you notice a change? I mean, I know you're in two different prisons and they're all very different, but did you notice like a change in the behaviour of the inmates? You know, the the frustration or the violence or the, you know, did, was there? A, tell me about that. Tell me about. Well, to, that. to be honest, politics, the politics on the wing when you've only the, the, the behaviour of everyone is a lot is a lot more subdued than I expect it to be. 
Obviously, people accepted it a lot more than I would I would have expected. When we was getting out, we was only getting out. When we did start getting out for like 20 minutes exercise in the morning, people was coming straight in where I thought people would be staying on the yard and trying to fight a bit more for a bit more um, leeway. But yeah. I think everyone was scared as well, though, Jason, no, of the COVID. So yeah, they was they didn't really want to get into any altercations with the officers because obviously they knew that that's the only way we're about to catch it. So people trying to keep the officers at arm's length. Wow, it's it's crazy, really. I, you know, when we started going back in, I was so surprised about how you guys one coped and complied. You know, I mean, I mean, I know you've got no choice but to comply, but I couldn't believe there hadn't been more trouble and more violence and more aggressive resistance to it but you just explained John maybe some of that's to do with fear yeah well when you're sitting in a cell for that long a lot of people sit down we've only got a few TV channels so everyone was sitting down constantly locked into that news yeah no yeah. all you weren't ever seeing any good news about it so that's, that's it it was just pure COVID deaths COVID transmissions COVID COVID, COVID and the, it just sets fear into your mind well John that's obviously- interestingly leading on from that um, what's been really interesting I've found is that that compliance and that behavioral change of inmates has really 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 helped out the screws in the sense that you know they they're much happier because they don't have to work so hard right yeah exactly. their job if you're all locked up for 23 hours is a lot simpler yeah and do you think that was anything to do with it do you think that was anything to do with it about keeping you know like when there was a break in lockdown it never happened in prison but on the out everyone was you know things were eased and we all got to go to the shops again and you know eat out to help out and blah 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 but that didn't happen in the nick no no they just kept the same regime that obviously see with a lot of the violence and all the drugs and that that goes on in jail it wasn't happening it wasn't happening obviously people caught a mix you couldn't get to education you couldn't get to your work placements People obviously you normally get things chucked over walls and all that wasn't able to get them because people wasn't out on exercise or out on their usual route. So, so was the drug trade massively interrupted? Everything, everything was interrupted in this. To be honest, yeah. but yeah, if you if you obviously you've been in and out of prisons and the, the um, spice pandemic in jail, terrible. Yeah, it's terrible. You see people in some states, but yeah, you weren't seeing none of it. You weren't seeing none of it during the COVID. That's interesting, isn't it? Obviously, the, the reason I wanted to do this podcast with you, mate, when I, I, I felt it was really important to do with you, was because I don't think when I tell people about twenty-three hour bang up, they're like, "Yeah, what in in South America?" And you're like, "No, mate, this is in South London. You know, this is this is hap- This is a fact of life that has happened over the last you know eighteen months where we've all you know. I mean, listen, John, I know prison is not meant to be fun, but the fact is that we've all moaned about our lives and about our existence." And yet we have no comprehension of what was happening in those prisons to people like you, that, you know, that 23 hours in a, you know, basically sharing, sharing a toilet with your friend. I mean, it, or not friend, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a, a horrendous situation, which I think needs to be spoken about. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's a, prison on a normal day is in a good place, but obviously in Brixton with the places like the clink and there, there's other places in jail, no, where you can use your time constructively there, yeah. like no for rehabilitation. Yeah. If and you the radio, want the radio and stuff and there's, yeah, yeah, you can do like barbering courses. You can actually do stuff. No, like to actually get yourself out of the the pattern. Yeah, of keep coming back and coming out of prison, getting back into crime, and then just just being on that um, hamster wheel, basically. Mm. 
But um, yeah, during the lockdown, that's it. There's none of it. You can't even get to a library to get a book. So do you think, do you think, John, that, that the effects of that are not really yet seen? You know, that the fact that you got out, you know, and through your own hard work and through your own commitment, you've managed to find a path now that you're on, which, you know, touch wood is looking very hopeful and is looking like maybe that's the last time. But for a lot of prisoners, because they never had the opportunity to do that during lockdown, that there's going to be a, a, an increase in the amount of people on that on that hamster's wheel that are going to go straight back. Yeah, definitely. And a lot of people are going to suffer from mental health as well through it. Yeah. Do you think you've got any long-term effects from it? I mean, no, Personally, no, because I, I did take the chance. When I used to get out of the cell, I'd run about the wing, like getting books and stuff. And I like to yeah. keep my mind occupied. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, when I'm a bit older, I don't actually mind the time in the cell. I'm not like so someone who goes into jail to socialise with everyone. So, yeah. yeah, me sitting down and actually reading the book and taking a bit of time to meditate and concentrate on myself and what I'm doing wrong yeah. weren't a bad thing. But for a lot of the youngsters who yeah. have got a lot of energy and are used to when they get out of the cell, no, like being able to have the banter and that with their their associates and their friends. Yeah. And what happened? Um, what happened? Uh... With food and stuff, John. What was the, what was the SP there with a with the idea that? Oh, you, you tell me. You tell me what happened with. Um... Basically, what they was doing at, at first, I think we was getting out for food, but then they started putting it in all like takeaway containers and just bringing it to your door. So you was getting a choice of either vegetarian or meat option, and that was getting brought to outside your door, and that's it. They were serving you at your door, closing the door back up. Like airplane food, basically. But basically, basically, yeah, it was just yeah. So usually, yeah. usually, um, listeners, when you when you when it's breakfast and lunch, you, you get out and it's like, um, you know, like school dinners. You go, you queue up, and you can look at what the food yeah. is. And you but look yeah, at... that's another part of your association as well. I know, like your interaction with other human sure. beings, right? Sure. So yeah, that, that is a, like a highlight, basically. If you day normally on a normal prison day. And then do you eat it on the wing in a canteen or do you take it back to your cell? No, you take, you take it back to your cell. In some, in some jails, you've actually got like a seated area where you can sit down and they let you yeah. out for an hour to eat. But yeah, everything's done in the cell. And so, what, yeah. what, what was, uh, you, especially you working at the clink and knowing about food. What did you do at the clink, by the way? I was a patisserie chef. Oh, nice, nice, fantastic. Yeah. So, you know, you have an understanding of the quality of food, an understanding of, you know, of, of uh, nutrition and how was that? I mean, what was the difference in the quality of food? And how, was it coming from the same place? Yeah, it's, it's still coming from the kitchen. Yeah, so it's, it's still the same quality, but it's just the repetitiveness. Now you're always eating the same thing. Yeah. It's like, obviously, when you go down to the server, if you know someone on the server, you might be able to get a bit extra veg or you might be able to change the dish you've ordered. Yeah, you can specify and help. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, you're just getting the same portion of food. It's like, it wasn't good. That isn't good. And the same with exercise, obviously, because, John, you look like, without me making an assumption, you look like a fit guy. And obviously, if you are if you train, when you start being locked in a cell and you realise that you've only got, you know, eight foot by 12 foot, it's a different thing, you know, to what you can do. Yeah, and plus with the shower aspects as well. You no, know, like, if you weren't getting out for a shower, you can't be in the cell training. It's spin. hard enough to breathe in there as it is, yeah. Oh, shit. <sighs> And so, and how did you keep yourself occupied during those twenty-three hours? I mean, you you touched on the fact you've done you've done some meditation and stuff, but what did you? What was? Tell me, take me through the day. I mean, so, what time does the food arrive? 
basically you get at night, you get your breakfast pack. So That's in jail, nice. you normally wake up as soon as you hear the officer on the wings of the keys about half seven, eight o'clock in the morning. That normally wakes you up. Like, like you want to be up and ready whether your cell's going to get raided or if they're going to open the door for exercise or for shells, whatever. So you always get up and make sure that you're ready for the door to open. So yeah, basically you're up, you have your breakfast at eight, 11 or half 11. They bring lunch around, which would be a baguette. About four, four thirty. They'd open you up rather than bring your dinner chair. But in between either at eight o'clock in the morning or two o'clock in the afternoon, you'd get out for exercise if they had exercise that day and that'd be it. Yeah. On, on the weekend, you get to do your canteen. They'd bring you either canteen sheets around or in Thameside, you do it all in the kiosk. You mean that's the stuff you buy that you can have yourself? Yeah, like to buy your vapes and your juices and your deodorants and stuff. And listen, John, while you're there, just for anyone who's not had any time in the nick, how does that work? So you've got like a bank account with money in it and then you can purchase whatever you want from the... Yeah, from the prison canteen. Basically, it's like having a... Yeah, it's like an online shopping, basically. Yeah, yeah. But um, you order it and then you normally get it the following week. But in certain prisons, it takes two or three weeks for you to get your first canteen. So, yeah, if you if you smoke, you're, you're stuffed because yeah. it's, it's everyone's like smoking like e-cigarette vapes and that in there. So you when you get into prison, they give you one to start off with. But that's and then that it. Until, last yeah. you weeks until you get your first canteen so presumably that's a currency inside yeah yeah vapes yeah they drove me mad I was constantly double bubbling vapes myself so you, yeah. you borrow one and you have to give two back two back yeah double bubble there and what and the money that goes into that account um john is that have to be put in there by friends and family or, or can you yeah or obviously in, in normal times it'd be down to like if you're if you're working in there like in the clink i think i was only like 30 quid a week 26 okay. pounds a week so, so that obviously that's, that's enough to sustain you but yeah, other that's... than that yeah it's through family and friends putting money in and then john i know it ended it, it didn't end well but when you got out that first time during covid and so if you don't mind telling the listeners so when you get out when you're when you're released how long before do you know and then what do they give you to walk out the door with and where do you go basically when i was released in um may, may. last year they come and open my door at five o'clock on the friday night and told me i was leaving then and there then and there yeah i wasn't supposed to be going home to the 19th they released me on the 15th in the middle of the pandemic with with no housing the money i had in my account which is a few hundred quid and um yeah, basically, yeah, five o'clock at night, they just said, pack your kit, you're going. So I packed And you up. walked out of that road, you walked onto Jeb Road at five o'clock in the evening. Yeah, like Pops, summer's day, yeah. Because, you know, excuse my naivety, but when you go in, right, you've got a phone, right? So the phone's in the box when you come out, but uncharged yeah. and, not, and you've got no pay in it, right? There's no... Yeah. So, so they yeah. give you back a dead phone. Yeah, basically. And yeah, obviously, I didn't have no, uh, it was, probation was closed, so I couldn't get in contact with probation. Housing was closed, so I couldn't get in contact with housing. Pandemic, I couldn't go to the Nehemiah projects, which is the rehab I was due to go to. Well, you were due to go there on the 19th, on the 19th, yeah, because of the COVID, they weren't accepting no one, because obviously I didn't want anyone bringing the, the um, sure. yeah, COVID sure. into there. So yeah, I got released on that Friday, and then... Um, spoke to my ex-partner and me, my daughter's mother and I was about to go and stay there but she's a school teacher so she said I couldn't go there obviously yeah. if I had the virus so I just went straight back into my old behaviour. Where did you go John? 
I went back to Bethnal Green and got on it. Oh, John. Yeah, yeah, straight away. That that was that was my mechanism. I thought straight away at the fuck it button, and then yeah. Well, what choice did you have? I mean, of course you had a choice, but you know that's ridiculous. You know to to let you out like that with no safety net, no plan, nothing. Yeah, but that's that's the way it goes. They've done it a few times. I've been released a few times. Obviously, during the COVID, it, it was a lot worse of a situation. But normally, there'd be angles. I could have gone to the house and I could have gone to probation. No, I sorted that some emergency accommodation. But oh. due to this um, virus and the time of night they let me out, it, it was a uh, it was a liberty, really. <laughs> I've just sat down with um, Clean Sheet and um, had to do a disclosure letter and do a CV. Mm -hmm. no, I'm not trying to get into a bit of um, voluntary work in, um, what's it called, Ace of Clubs, you know, like Soup Kitchen. Mate, I work at Ace of Clubs. Yeah, so I'm just trying to get into that in a minute. I'm going to try and get into chefing as well. Obviously, I've done, I've done the MVQ while I was in the clink, but I've got my mind focused this time. When I've come out and I'm determined, mm -hmm. yeah. not, I'm 44 years old now, I've been in and out of jail for God knows how long. It's, it's a joke. Yeah. No, like my daughter's 19. And obviously, I ain't getting any younger. I ain't getting any younger. Still good looking geezer, John. Thank you, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um, that's interesting. I mean, that's, that's, um, I know Ace of Club's quite proactive about employing ex offenders. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. See, and the thing is, if, if, when you was in prison, if people let you know about these, these organizations yeah. and people like yourself, who we could actually turn to and try and ask for help. There's a big thing about when you're in jail, no, you don't ask for help. You always think I'm a man, I can come out and I can get by. Mm -hmm. You think everything's about earning money, having the latest trainers, having the latest trends, no, like, there's, there comes a point when you think, hold on a minute, like, this, this, this ain't no life. I know how hard you're working on your recovery. I know how hard that can be. I've seen it so many times. And, um, you know, that's the immediate plan though, isn't it? The immediate plan is to get well and stay well. Yeah, definitely. And well, tell me about what you're thinking about that, like the Ace of Clubs. Is that, would that be chefing? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm going to try and get into in there, yeah. Do you feel you could do that now? Do you feel you could cook 130 meals with, you know, if you've given a budget and you had help? Yeah, definitely. That's great. Yeah, and I'd like to give a bit back. Obviously, when I, I was, I've been homeless and that myself, and obviously mm -hmm. on like, with my addictions, I've been having to um, use the services of places like that. Mm -hmm. myself so yeah it'd be nice to get in and actually have something to fill me time mm -hmm. one of the main things obviously since, since dance is still um locked down all that i'm just sitting indoors doing nothing so yeah it's actually being able to get out and get a some well a purpose a purpose is, is purpose, a, yeah. it's an important yeah. thing it's an important and, thing and people do appreciate it people do appreciate it that's it and go and have a bit of nice food and i've just been able to sit down around other people yeah have a bit of social interaction. It's lonely. Out on the streets is a lonely life. It's very depressing. How long was the longest you were you were on the streets? Like um, I was homeless basically from two thousand and when was it? Two thousand and seventeen. So about four years I was on the street. Oh. Up until yeah, my last few sentences, and then when I've I've come out um, in February, and this is my first um, accommodation I've had since two thousand and seventeen. John, that process of ending up on the streets just because i think i think some people me included you know who are quite smug about their life feel that that is a very 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 distant world away but the descent into homelessness can happen pretty quick right because 
you know, you've obviously, I go, well, I've got mates, you know, my missus chucks me out because I make a terrible mistake. I've got mates, but take me through that process of being, you know, relatively sort of relatively safe and sorted to being homeless, you know, like what's that process? How many times do you have to mess up? Like what, you know, cause obviously you can go to a friend and stay on their couch and then that, tell, tell me how that happens, John, with you. Well, basically with me personally, it's down to my, um, my addictions. Yeah. I was, um, I went into rehab in 2013, a Christian rehab because of my um, addiction to crack cocaine and come out. I moved up to Jaywick in uh, Clapton on sea mm-hmm. and, um, was up there for about a year clean again. And then um, slipped back into drinking and, and smoking the drugs again. End up back in Hackney in a hostel, um, a St. Mungo's hostel down there. End up getting into heroin. So then from I started smoking heroin, my um, circle of old friends started getting smaller and people weren't accepting what I was doing. So I didn't have the network of people I could go to. And well, I they, just, they turned their back on you kind of thing. Yeah, basically, yeah. Basically, yeah, that's it. It was a step too far. Obviously, they put up with my other addictions for years and just accepted that I used to do that, but I never used to do it random. So, but then obviously, when they could see me on the other stuff, it changed their view and it changed my relationships with them. So, my um, addiction spoiled out of control to the point where I wasn't keeping my um, key work sessions with my counselors basically in the hostel. And yeah, after I was in there a couple of years and I'm getting evicted from there for not staying. I wasn't staying. I was staying out when I was on mad drug binges, wasn't forgetting to go home and wasn't going to sign in and stuff like that. So yeah, yeah and I'm getting kicked out of there and basically living on park benches and, you know, and everywhere, staying up for three, four days at a time. And physically, John, because I'm looking at you now and, you know, you, you, you look well. I mean, Physically, does that descent into drugs? Does that hagger you? Because I mean, were you? Did you lose a lot of weight? Because yeah, basically, well. when I went to jail, two thousand nineteen, I was like ten stone. Wow, I was like seventy kilos. I come at um, ninety four, which is about my right weight, mm-hmm. about fourteen and a half stone. I am now, but yeah, uh, yeah basically, I was like a twenty eight waist when I went back to prison. I was a twenty eight waist. Like my clothes are literally falling off me. But I've, I've come I've come out now and I still had a few bits of clothes in there out and I've gone round and it's like I was a kid again. Yeah. Basically, I've looked like the size of the stuff I was wearing is just ridiculous. What Because that's the bag you, you get when you leave, right? What you came in in. Yeah. And none of it fitted. None of it fitted, no. But yeah, it's, it's a te- you get yourself in a terrible state. I mean, this is me being naive again, but have you managed to put any bridges out to those, to family and friends since you've been yeah. here? Yeah, yeah. Through, through Facebook, basically. I've got a few uh, friends that I stayed in contact with. Mm-hmm. And then, obviously, they, well, I've been posting pictures of myself and my daughter. Obviously, people are seeing that I'm progressing and in recovery. So That's a lot of people have, have made contact. And a lot of old friends who I've lost contact with over the years anyway have um, re-engaging me. So it's, it's nice. And I like not Obviously, in my drug use, the, the people I was having it with was like solely people I was going out drinking with, going out mm-hmm. partying with or using with. So now I'm I'm not engaged with any of them people. I'm engaged with people I was friends with from childhood. Yeah, we've got common interests. No, it isn't just an interest in getting high. Well, you've got you've got history, haven't you? That's that's yeah. massively important. And how's it going with your daughter, John? Yeah, really good, really good. We we speak every day. She must be so chuffed for you. Yeah, now she's happy. She's at university in a minute. She's um wow doing a sociology degree. Wow. So yeah, it's, it's really good. But yeah. 
she's really busy. So we see each other like once a week. But yeah, we talk every day on the phone. That's great, John. Now, listen, John, this podcast goes out to people in the Nick um, who are still there. And I'm sure you know uh, a lot of people. Is there anything you want to say or any advice you want to give to anyone listening to this who's imminently about to get out? Use the services. Mm. Use people like Forward Trust. Ask the listeners for other agencies you can get in contact with who are going to put you on the right path because there's some good people out there like yourself who will help you get to where you want to go. You don't have to go back to your old situations and your old surroundings. That thing you said, John, about you know getting an early release, which obviously to, to the uninitiated and to me, you think, oh, that's great. He's got four days out early. That's brilliant. But it's no good at all, is it? It's no use to anyone. No. There's nowhere. You know, I, I, I saw this. I was um, in the car waiting to go into the Nick about two months ago and I saw this young lad get out and he had his plastic bag. You know what I mean? And he, he skipped down Jeb Road or Jeb Street, wherever it's called, to Brixton Hill. And he and I saw him, I was in the car and I, I, I was so, I'd never seen anyone come out the Nick and not be met by anyone. And he skipped down the road and he was like, you know, so over the moon and he got to the end of the road and he looked left and he looked right and he shrugged his shoulders and he went right. And I thought, fuck, where's he going? You know, because yeah, I, yeah. I was sort of frightened. I, I don't know why I was frightened. I was just shocked. And I thought, fuck, run after him and, you know, slip him 20 quid and ask him if he needs any help. So I ran up the road. And as I got to the road, I saw the bus going down towards Brixton Station and he was sitting on the bus and I missed him. And I just thought, oh, man, who knows? Like, like you, you know, he's potentially just going straight back to Bethnal Green and getting on it because what else do you do you know you know how else how do you have the discipline and where do you go you know well, that's, that's the thing see there is agencies inside the prison but you've got to engage with them yeah they're not going to mean- come up to you like see, see with me I'm lucky though like I'd, I'd see people on the wing who I wasn't didn't recognize yeah and I'd always inquire who they was and what they did yeah so I'm, I was I was looking for a way out. No, I was I was crying out basically for help. I was trying to get to where I needed to be. But you can only do it if you engage with these people. Yeah. By being on the wing and, and thinking, oh yeah, you're just having it with the boys, and you, you've got a plan in your head what you're going to do. Most people want to get out of jail and get straight back on it. They can't wait to get out, go and have a booze, have a joint, have a line of coke, and that's that's it. If you've got that mentality, that that's that's fine. See, some people they won't end up back in jail because they they're in there for silly mistakes. I was in a pattern yeah. where I was committing crime to fund a drug habit. It's always inevitable that I was going to end up straight back in prison. Mm-hmm. So yeah, obviously to to people who are in that in that cycle, yeah, ask for help and and get yourself out of it. Because in my in my in my experience, if you put your hand out, three people will grab it. But you you need to. You need that engagement, you know, whether it comes from from the person in the prison or the people outside the prison. You need to, they need to make that connection. And you're right, you can hide from it all, can't you? You can hide from it all. Yeah. But it sounds like you were because you were at the clink. I mean, that's a choice, isn't it? You went off and did that. That's you know, you went off and got yourself involved in really good people there. They're good people there. Yeah, it's it's the it's the best choice I've made, to be honest yeah. with you, in the last few years. Because the old thing about going to work in that clink, I went in there, obviously I learned a, a skill. And I found out about the Nehemiah while being in there as well. Tell us about the Nehemiah, John, just what, just to finish this off. Well, basically, Nehemiah uh, stands for foundation. They're there to, to guide you and sit down place. with you. A safe yeah. place, yeah. Yeah, and you, you sit down with them and you get to understand our trauma mm-hmm. and past relationships and family and past decisions you've made in your life have affected your life up until now. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, your decision-making over the years and the guilt and that you feel from it and the, the trauma. And basically, you unravel 
all your all your behaviors and and your addictions and only you get back to your core issues because mm-hmm. sometimes it ain't the drugs it's really your issue mm-hmm. something that's happened traumatic child that you've used drugs to try and hide away from and then you forgot about the trauma and then you think the drugs are your issue so then you try and deal with your drug problem but you're not dealing with the underlying issues so you're always going to come back to the same problems so yeah Nehemiah helped me deal with that John, man, I won't listen. I know I can't tell you how, how much it means to me that you took the time to talk to us and, and you were very eloquent about it and very you know honest about how, that, how that's been. So I can't thank you enough. Cheers, mate. And listen, good luck. Good luck, bruv. Yeah, I'll get there, mate. Yeah, of course you will. If you're interested in hearing more about the More Than My Past campaign and viewing dozens more inspirational stories, check out the campaign website, morethanmypast.org.uk. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, please tell your friends, subscribe and look out for future episodes.